the joy that's ours this morning to be able to assemble, to come together on an occasion like this one. Each of us perhaps are aware of the tragedies and difficulties that have beset so many in our community and otherwise over the last several days. And yet the blessing that's ours today by way of health and that things with you and with me are as well as they are truly gives us occasion to come together and magnify and exalt the name of God and to do so in the songs that we've sung, the consideration and prayer, and also a study of His holy and divine will. We're always thankful to be able to open the sacred scriptures and to use them to lead us and guide us in the things that we do say and think that we might live in a way that's honorable and pleasing to God. Certainly, as you keep in mind the thought that tonight a guest speaker will come our way, Brother Clancy Etienne, who he and his family were with us uh, sometime early last year, and we're thankful that they are able to be back with us tonight. Look forward to hearing his message and the things he has to share with us and to us. Certainly keep that on your calendar, and this morning, as we turn our attention to a lesson entitled, Jesus, Our Harbor of Blessings. You might have noted the scripture reading as Brother Jeremy read it for us a moment ago is a very brief passage. John chapter 6 verse 48. I am that bread of life. For the next few moments this morning, I would invite you to journey with me as we revisit some of the details of John chapter 6 and also strive to make application of those precepts to your life and mine as we never forget that Jesus continues to be our harbor of blessings. Some introductory thoughts, some remarks along that line might certainly be in order. I believe it would be fair to say that the concept of peace, as I've highlighted it there, is a concept that not only is very profound, but it's also very essential and very vital. We each are aware that when a life, when your life and mine is one described as one of peace, it's a rich and great treasure, isn't it? To rise in the morning to feel the incumbent existence of peace, and to go about the affairs of the day understanding that peace is truly a something that overgirds and that ultimately overarches all the things that may come and trouble us from each moment of the day. But the concept of peace is often something that we find that in the life of the disciples was missing. They seem to be absent of it, and sometimes aren't we absent of the same. It's a bit easy, isn't it, to allow ourselves to become frenetic and chaotic to the point that we seemingly are also absent the basic reality of peace. We're troubled and beset on all hands. We're bothered by the characteristics we see about us. And if we allow it to trouble us and delve deeply into our being, into the nature of who we are, it can truly cause us to be so worried and divided in all the matters that we face. The concerns of life can often be great. We would not by any means try to assert that that's not true. But the Bible does give us a way to approach them. It gives us a way to understand the existence of one far more powerful than we who is there to assist and help and encourage us. And I hope today that that's one of the great things we can take as we study this lesson from John the 6th chapter. It's a lesson we each need, quite frankly. I know that I would do well to remember it, and I'm sure that you're the same. And so as we come to John chapter 6 this morning, why don't we in fact approach it in that way and use this next slide to carry us forward in our study. I begin it in this somewhat negative way, simply for, to remind all of us of what we know is already the case. 
bad news all the way around us. We know that all too well. The nightly news is filled with it. At work we see it. The characteristics on radio make it also plain. The crime rate is high. Sex offenders all around us. Characteristic of the nation and the other things that go about us. War seems to be around us. As you look at all of it, it's enough to make one in despair. It's enough to cause one to be a bit depressed. It's enough to bring one to a feeling of loneliness. Where is the peace in all of this? It certainly seems as if the world has its fair share of what does not bring peace. But yet in the Scriptures we read that there's peace. Even beyond all of that, there are concerns on a daily basis in your life and mine. We've heard a sick list this morning. So many struggle with health problems. And it's not just bad colds. Others, although that comes often enough, there are those who truly struggle with things that can be life-threatening, issues that are vital, destructions by way of weather. No wonder lessons that, in which that you and I are prompted to think about peace is all the more timely and all the more needful. As you can see about the middle of that slide, the word worry is one that often then comes our way. Are you and I guilty of worry? Do we come to the point of losing sleep, staying awake, worrying about something that maybe is going to occur the next day or the next week or something at work, something in the family, a major decision to be made? Worry is a rather common matter in our world, isn't it? Among the latest statistics that I heard on the radio, at least when polled, those who at least affirmed it stated that they generally worry a fair amount. When asked to estimate the amount of time per week, the number was rather extensive. Worry. I would ask you to notice that the word worry does not occur in several versions of the Bible, namely the King James Version, the American Standard, and the English Revised Standard. However, you'll notice that it does occur in the New King James Version. I think it's significant that of the nine times it occurs, six of them are in one sermon. A sermon from the lips of our Savior in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord on that early occasion in His public ministry sensed that there were those in the first century who were in need of a lesson about worry. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? We still are in need of some reminders, vital lessons about the nature of worry, what the Bible says about it. It is for all those reasons. I would ask you to notice that some of those other words that are used in those other translations which do not use the word worry, it's words like anxious and it's words like take no thought. We're familiar with those occurrences. When Jesus on more than one occasion said, take no thought for this, that, or whatever other may have been in the mind of His discussion at that time. But in all of those ways, what does the Bible teach about worry? And in what sense might John the sixth chapter at least provide us with some words of much needed encouragement? The word in Greek that is translated on those occasions as worry is the Greek word merimnal. As you look at the very bottom of that slide, that word or one of its variations occurs about 25 times in the New Testament. As you give thought to its occurrences and the places it occurs and the way in which it occurs, 
we almost quickly can't help but note this. Many of those occurrences are in a bad light. In other words, we are being encouraged not to merimnal. We're being encouraged not to give idea to pursuing that course of thought and that course of action. Look at these examples. In Mark 4 verse 19, it was on that occasion when Jesus said that it's those merimnals, those cares of the world that cause one to lose faithfulness. On another occasion, we notice in Luke 10, 41, it was on that occasion that Martha was giving concern to the merimnal when Jesus said, take no thought or be not careful for those things. Mary hath chosen that good part, you might remember. She was the one listening to the Master. Martha was encumbered with much serving. Maybe a final example. In Matthew 10, 19, we notice one more time that on that occasion Jesus made reference and stated it was a bad thing to give occurrence and consideration to these matters. We've already begun to learn something rather vital. On so many of those occurrences, it was a warning that we ought not to follow that course of mindset and pursuit that would be cataloged as worry. By definition, the word worry means this, to be anxious, to be distracted, to be overly troubled about with cares, or to put that slightly differently, to be cumbered with cares. Now cares, in a sense, come to each of us. That's a part of living. Food needs to be on the table. Clothes need to be on our back, a roof on our head. Responsibilities, duties, if you please, are our lot. But there seems to be something different about having the mind divided. And in a sense, that's a portion of what the original Greek word meant. To be divided in mind. In fact, we'll revisit that a bit later in the lesson. For now, let us notice this. In John the 6th chapter, we seem to have an example that might help us approach some of these concerns, these issues that might otherwise produce worry. I'd invite you to turn with me as we begin that chapter. And though the chapter is a bit lengthy, we won't read all of it. But we'll strive to notice those particular movements in the chapter and use them at the appropriate points in our lesson this morning. The scene is likely a very familiar one to us. It's one of the Lord's most famous miracles. In fact, it is the only miracle recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. That being said, we might appreciate very interestingly the following set of ideas. A large multitude had followed the Master. Late in the evening, the shades of evening were gathering about, and as this large multitude was there... Mark's version reminds us that there was fear that they might become faint on the way if they were thus sent away without any food provision. Jesus, on the other hand, had something far different in mind. You'll notice in verse, beginning in verse number 2, John 6 reads like this, And a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
Jesus, upon seeing and observing that large crowd, knew already that He was going to provide for them. And He asked Philip a very leading question. In what way shall we purchase and buy so that all of these may eat and have something that they may enjoy? As you begin to see from that, Philip was immediately beset. Because in verse 7 it says, Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may eat a little. Philip almost immediately responded, but Jesus, it would take a large amount of money to provide only enough that each might have a small amount. Philip was beginning to be concerned, wouldn't you say? He was beginning to feel a bit of worry, if you please. Verse number 8 says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Andrew had become aware of the fact that there was a small amount available, at least that he had been able to find, but he almost quickly asserted, What is it among such a large host as this? The disciples, it seems, were running out of ideas. Philip knew they didn't have the funding. We also notice here that Andrew had found only a small amount. We learn from Luke's account that they, of course, had done a bit of searching. It would seem that, again, they were coming to the end of their rope. There was only a small amount found, and it was not nearly enough. What did they do? Where did they turn? What was the answer? Was the solution provided? As you can see next on our slide... I ask that you and I think about our lot at this same time. Do you and I at times reach the end of our rope? Do we come to a time when it isn't clear what the solution is? Do we reach an occasion in life in which a decision needs to be made, a course of action to be pursued, and maybe it isn't obvious at that point what is the best solution? Maybe it isn't clear there's even a good solution at all. In light of all of that, might we ask, it would seem that in parallel fashion we might learn much if we remember where did the disciples turn next? How was the matter, in fact, answered? As you can see near the middle of that slide, it was Jesus who in verse number 10 interjected the following. Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, He said unto His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And with that, we find so hastily that the matter had ended. In the midst of their exasperation, in the midst of their uncertainty, Jesus just said, Make the men sit down on the grass. The other gospel accounts tell us that they sat in particular groups or companies and Jesus had them bring the five barley loaves and two fishes to Him. He prayed it in the sense of giving thanks for it. 
divided it among them, and all of them ate to the point of being satisfied and filled. And what's more, there was also twelve baskets of fragments collected. There was more than enough for all, more than sufficient amount. In the midst of that uncertainty and exasperation by the disciples, the Lord had the answer. And He had, in fact, the proper approach, and He had the means whereby the satisfaction of all could be met. That leads me to ask us to think about this. Wasn't it true, according to the bottom of that slide, that our Lord was, in fact, a harbor of provision in the midst of what otherwise could be a sea of worry? And that led me to the title of the lesson today, Jesus, our harbor of blessing. The peacefulness that He was able to provide, in fact, only challenges us to notice the next day. There was a considered conversation in which Jesus had the opportunity to readdress some of this, and some of the timeless lessons are still so needful. Let us then revisit in the later parts of John chapter 6 the issues that might help us also sail our ship into the Lord's harbor of blessing. And with that, let us come to the next slide. Beginning in verse 24 of this same chapter, John chapter 6, we encounter this harbor of blessing approached in the following way. The multitude sought the Master. Their bellies had been full and they were anxious perhaps to enjoy those blessings again the next day. As chapter 6 verses 24 and following come before us, Jesus had another occasion to teach them. Another occasion to instill within, within them the life-giving words of faith and truth. And as He taught them, some interesting and amazing things were shared to them. I've tried to highlight very briefly the following way. In verse number 30, mention is made of a sign. It says, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Many of them on the previous day had seen 5,000 men alone fed with five loaves and two fishes, and they have the nerve to ask the next day to show us a sign? Oh, what unbelieving character no doubt was expressed in many of them asking for some other sign that He was the promised one, that He was the Messiah, that He was the one from God. That led to this conversation. Verse 31, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. These disciples, or this group that had gathered at least, said there was the blessing of manna in the old day as a sign from heaven. Can't you offer some comparable sign? Can't you offer some sign that, to prove to us that you are the one? Jesus in verse number 32 said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Jesus had to correct a bit of their understanding. Did you notice with me that He said very clearly, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my Father makes available to you, giveth you that bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. They say unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus turns their attention immediately to something far more profound and something far more needful. 
we certainly can't excuse the importance of physical bread. We need it to provide for the physical body. But there is something far more important than that. He says, do you not realize that I am that true bread sent down from heaven? And in the same way that physical body needs physical bread, spiritual appreciation needs spiritual bread. I am that bread of life. In the closing words of verse number 33, For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. This life that Jesus offered is the life offered through Him. And that life is a true and real one. And that life, you see, should help us approach all the difficulties that life brings our way. And doing so in a way that offers and brings a literal, enjoyable, understandable degree of peace. I've tried to highlight some of that near the bottom. Jesus came, John 10 verse 10, He Himself said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The purpose, one of the purposes for the coming of the Master was that all of us might have life and have it, not just in meager minor amounts, but have it more abundantly, fully, richly. Is that the kind of life that you and I are living? We each know that to be overwhelmed with the worries and concerns of the world and day certainly is not life to its fullest, and certainly is not life to its richness, and certainly is not life that one might call abundant. This abundant life of which the Savior spoke, doesn't it tell us indeed that He is indeed that harbor of blessings? He was able to provide physically for those of that day, but He taught them not just on a physical plane. For He said, all this bread and fish that you've enjoyed, don't look past it and not fail to see that I am the true bread of, of God. As Jesus made that statement, pointing out to them directly, He was the one. And verse 48 still reads it like this, I am that bread of life. He, he does have the answer for us just like He did for them. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Matthew 6.34 in the very midst of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus there told us, don't be given to worry. When the issues and problems of life come your way, deal with them to the capacity with which you're able. Place all the other upon the shoulders of the Master. Allow Him to be there to assist and to help and to encourage. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The famous words of Psalm 55, 22. As you and I think about the promise asserted in verses like that one, does it not still say he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved? Do we believe that? He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Just as surely as God does care for us, and He proved that by sending His Son to die for us, He is there to hear as we pray. And He's there to, in fact, lift those burdens from our hearts as we strive to place them upon Him and as we strive to give thought to them and to deal with them rightly. I mentioned earlier that we would revisit at the right time that matter of worry. What does the Bible say about that issue of worry? We should begin that by remembering the promises of Matthew chapter 6. As we remember earlier, things like food 
and things like clothing and things like shelter. All of that the Lord recognized and mentioned and described, but He was very quick to say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. What things, Lord? Food, raiment, and shelter. Those things will be provided. Our charge and our challenge is then to never forget that this matter of worry, it ought not be that thing that's characteristic of the life of the Christian. We're called upon to appreciate the peacefulness that the Savior has left us. My peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. John 16, In Matthew 14, we read about the peacefulness on yet another occasion. As we give thought to those teachings about peace, these promises tell us that God has promised to provide. That word worry, as I mentioned earlier, it literally means to divide the mind. And I think each of us recognize that when a mind is divided, it is less efficient. It is less prepared to deal with that with which it's faced. We all know that at school. A child who has a lot of things on his mind is less likely to do well on the exam. He's thinking about the problems at home. He's thinking about the issues of being bullied. He's thinking about whatever else may be troubling him. It's when he can focus, direct his attention rightly, that he's best able to deal with the problems that he's facing. Is it any different in life? when we appreciate that to divide the mind is really to compartmentalize and to thus be less able to deal with the issues that are facing us. Jesus had much to say about that, didn't He? As I mentioned earlier, half a dozen times in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Take no thought, be not anxious. Wasn't that the Lord's way of reminding us to allow your life to be controlled and to be guided by and directed by the one who cares for you and who has promised to help you deal with those problems and issues. That's difficult practicality in times, but nonetheless, that's the teaching of the Scriptures, isn't it? No wonder in Philippians 4, verse number 6, in fact, which is one of the passages that we shall consider in due course, but in that particular passage, we're reminded so powerfully to take no thought, to not be given to that issue of worry, but rather to do what? Let your cares and supplications be made known unto God. We do have a Father who knows everything that we're facing. We must never forget that fact. He knows the health problems. He knows the work problems. He knows the neighborhood problems. And He knows even the internal matters that you and I face in terms of our thinking. He knows all of it. And He also, just like in the scene of John 6, has the answer. If we will but rightly search and seek and apply it. In the thought about the Scriptures, as it relates to us in the consideration of worry, take no thought for the morrow. That word again of Matthew 6.34 reminds us that about tomorrow should in fact be like this. Who among us knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? And yet it's so easy to be encumbered with worry about tomorrow when oftentimes the very thing about which we're worrying doesn't come to pass anyway. How often has that been the situation for you and me? 
were so bothered and so worried about something, and then circumstances develop in a way that the worry never even materializes. It never even comes to pass. In fact, it might well be stated this, what good does it do to worry about what has already happened? We can't change it now. Whatever has occurred in the past, we must live with its consequences, and if it happens to be our sin, we ought to make it right at once. But otherwise, what good does it do to worry about what has taken place in days past? What good does it do to worry about what's in the future? It may never come to pass anyway. What we have is the present. We, of course, need to be dutiful in light of the present, making the best of the opportunities God gives us. And always, of course, with a light of care, to understand that what is in the future, we certainly do need to make adequate preparation. But that's not quite the same as worry. That's not the same as an overt amount of over-concern. Worry, as described in this text before us, was in fact a needless thing, wasn't it? Philip, Andrew, and the others, when all the while the Master was right there to handle it, to care for it, to deal with it, and to, in fact, bring it to pass in a way that brought glory to Him. He can do that in your life and mine today if we will but let Him. If we will, in fact, turn over control of ourselves, not trying to bear the burden ourselves. For isn't it still true, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. When we understand that we are but to be His stewards, those who are mere servants in His kingdom, then we'll be less likely to be given to worry and far more likely to be trusting fully and completely in Him. Life here is so brief. It is so short. Compared so often in the Scriptures to things like a vapor, a handbreadth, things compared to a weaver's shuttle, all of that reminds us that just as surely as our own experience tells us, our life is but brief. And the things that are most important are those things that tie us spiritually to the Master. That's what ultimately matters. Are we faithful? Or are we too much worrying about things in this world? In 1 John 2.15 it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That sounds like an almost fail-proof avenue through the difficulties of what otherwise would be worry. As we live in the world, let's not our love of it bring us to worry about it. For this world is not going to be permanent. And our life here in it isn't permanent either. We shall, of course, pass from it. In those famous words of 2 Peter 3, verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Our studies to this point in the lesson about worry takes us directly to the fourth chapter of James. In verses 13 to 18 of that chapter, in fact, it's closing set of verses, we have the following set of ideas we're exactly reminded in verse 13 that our life is here but like a vapor, appeareth for a little while, a little time, and vanishes away. But then in the verses that follow, what then about going into a city and buy and sell and get gain? We'll stay here a year, we'll go there a year, we'll do this, that, and the other. 
All the while, he says, that's improper for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. Do we allow all the decisions of the day and the moments of the hour and the concourses of life to be guided by, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that? May we always use the Bible to assist us as we make our decisions resting our concerns and our cares upon Him, for He does care for us, 1 Peter 5, 7. One of the closing thoughts upon that is one other issue about this harbor of blessings. I stated that our title was Jesus, Our Harbor of Blessings, and the answers provided in the wonderful Word of God. There is, though, this thought about an anchor. Dragging an anchor on sand is a hard thing, isn't it? Can you imagine trying to pull an anchor across a sandy beach? How difficult it would be to drag that heavy anchor through the resistance offered by the sand. But yet we know that when we use an anchor properly, we've got our ship where we want it, we drop the anchor and it thus anchors it to the bottom of the sea so that the ship can stay sturdy and steady and fixed in location. You and I don't need the anchor of worry. But we do need an anchor that once we have our Christian ship oriented correctly, we can drop anchor and tie ourselves, of course, to the Master Himself and never, ever remove from it. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2 verse 10. Where then is your anchor in mind today? Is it anchored to worry? Are you or I anchored to the worries of this life, or are we anchored to the Master? to the church, and to all the blessings that He affords to those who faithfully serve Him. As that question comes to us, it truly is a matter of personal answer. I can't answer for you, and you're not able to answer for me. But we each do know what the answer is. Where do you stand with the Master right now? Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you anchored to the place that the Master would find satisfactory and pleasing? Or are you and I cumbered about too much things in this physical life? Cumbered to the point where it really is distracting us and dividing our minds so that we can't focus and are not focusing on the most important thing of all. May we not forget the principle of that matter. In the invitation that Jonathan shared with us last Wednesday evening, he made mention of something along that very line about making sure we don't have our ladder leaned up against the wrong building. Wouldn't that be awful to labor for years climbing the wrong ladder, or I should say at least the ladder leaned against the wrong building, to, get, to take us where we do not want to go? Today, if you're not going where you'd like to go, why not recognize that Jesus is the harbor of blessing? Soft breezes blow to those who are in Christ. The characteristic of peace in this life, John 16, is highlighted and we have, in fact, the peace of God that passes all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. If right now you don't have that kind of peace, and you know it, if you know you're beset in mind and division in such a way that worry is the order of the day instead of peace, the reason almost surely is because you haven't anchored yourself to the Master as well as you should have. Come to Him at this very day. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you if you've never become a Christian. At this point, the Master is not even at your side yet at all. Why not come quickly to Him and do so using this song that Brother Harold has announced? And if we can be of assistance to you, would you not come while together we stand and while we sing?